is Victorian Scribblers, an informal exploration of the lives and work of lesser-known Victorian writers. I'm Courtney Floyd, a doctoral candidate in 19th century literature and print culture at the University of Oregon. And I'm Eleanor Dunville, a PhD student in Victorian literature and publishing at Loughborough University in the UK. Season 2 Intro, Fannies and Trollops Happy New Year, listeners! Eleanor and I are back with plans for Season 2, which will be a full year of programming that we've got planned for you, and we'll detail that in just a minute. Today, I wanted to take some time to reflect on the podcast's first year and our goals for the future. So last March, I took the plunge and launched Victorian Scribblers, despite my own doubts about how much time I had to dedicate to it and um, the feasibility of the project. My first year podcasting had its ups and downs, like I imagine any podcasts would. Ask almost any podcaster and they'll tell you there's a steep learning curve if you want to get involved in this medium. And it's so true. I'd just about figured out how to consistently record myself when I was surprised and delighted to find an email from Eleanor waiting in my inbox, inquiring if I was interested in a co-host. I jumped at the offer, even though that meant not quite successfully tackling a new level of recording skills and challenges, things I didn't even anticipate. But I think it's the best decision I've made since deciding to start this podcast. It's been so rewarding to share our interests and our field and our expertise with all of you. I'm so glad you're um, happy with your decision and pleased with that. Um, Because I did get a sense that I was kind of being like, hey, I." because what happened, listeners, is Courtney sent an email onto a listserv for people who are interested in Victorian literature. And I kind of sent a semi-unsolicited email saying, hey, I work on understudied Victorian writers and I'd be interested in either co-hosting a couple of episodes with you or just sending you some research so that you can also cover them because I think they're worth covering and yeah it's also it is a super steep learning curve but hopefully we're we somewhat know what we're doing now yeah we've put in a lot of uh work over the break I think or a lot of thought anyway into how the issues we were running into could be solved so I have high hopes for this year's sound quality, and increasing content. Yeah, I think I've just about figured out how to rig up a semi-soundproof booth for myself in a large-ish closet, so it's an interesting experience. Very nice. Yeah, I finally did a DIY pop filter today, so hopefully that will help with some of my uh, sibilance going forward. So shall we tell the listeners about Season 2 plans? Yes, absolutely. So this season, I suggested that Eleanor take the lead with the lesser-known Victorian writers she studies. So we will be covering, at her suggestion, the Trollope family. And uh, maybe you can give our listeners a breakdown of who that includes? Um, Yeah, of course. So I will do the expected that goes against the grain a little bit. But So first and foremost, we'll talk about Anthony Trollope, the most famous member of the family. He is quite frequently studied now there's a trollop society which is just about him and not the others so much um and he wrote an incredible amount he was a postman which is 
an unusual profession, but um, not an unusual profession, but you don't associate with writers so much. And he's one of those writers that has a really strict schedule, which I think he inherited from his mum, who I'll touch on a bit more in a bit, um, of saying, I'm going to get up at 5am or something bar me and get so much written. But he, like I say, he's still quite regularly um, studied and also he quite regularly, you'll see, especially in British TV, I'm not sure so much about the US, but in British TV, there's quite regular adaptations of his work. So there was a show called Dr. Thorne, which is based on one of his books last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first trollope that I'm really interested in is Francis Milton Trollope, which is his mother. And she also is similar. She's kind of prodigious. So she started writing when she was in her... I believe she was in her 30s um, and her husband was kind of one of these guys that spends money like water and doesn't make too much of it. So she had to write to support her children. She had, she has three children, I believe, that survive into adulthood, but she had somewhere around five or six in total. But obviously they didn't all survive into adulthood. There's an interesting story where she goes over to the US and she goes to visit a commune that her friend Frances Wright had set up to the purpose basically was to educate slaves before they were freed so she went and visited that she didn't particularly like it not because she was anti-educating slaves but because she was like the conditions are not good and I don't want my children here I think they're gonna get sick Hmm. Uh, and then after that she spent quite a good amount of time in Cincinnati and wrote something called a book called Domestic Manners of the Americans which unfortunately offended a lot of Americans and a lot of people were saying this isn't us we don't like this <laughs> oh, that's next on my to be red pile and I'm braced to be quite offended <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's she's opinionated is what I would say <laughs> mm. but she's great I really like her as you might expect I recently read my my first um Francis Milton Trollope novel which was The Vicar of Rexhill and uh, I don't know why, but I expected a, just a really pleasant novel of manners, and it was definitely not that. It was super dramatic, super suspenseful. Um, content warning if you pick this up for um, psychological religious abuse, but it um, definitely well worth a read. So the, the reason, especially, that I think Frances Milton Trollope is really worth studying is she wrote a couple of big firsts. So she... I would argue write the first what we call social problem novel or condition of England novel, which basically is a novel that tries to portray the lives of working class people in a way that gains sympathy for them and for the causes that support them. And she went on this tour around factories in Manchester. Um, I'm not sure if that was for research or that inspired her to write this, but it's called Michael Armstrong, the Factory Boy. And that came out in 1835. And then she also wrote the first anti-slavery novel, which I think probably was inspired by her experiences at Nashoba, but it's actually, which is the commune for um, educating slaves. It's actually really progressive. Like it's quite, it's quite focused on the, I'm not sure how to phrase this, Um, but it's really a lot more sensitive to the intersectional experiences of women of colour and especially female slaves than you might expect for something written when it was Hmm. for the kind of 1830s, 1840s. It really surprises you. Um, Because what's frequently referenced as the first anti-slavery novel is one called this guy Richard Hildreth, 
which is called, I think it's called like the white slave. And it doesn't, it's not nearly as progressive, basically. And I know I'm incredibly biased, but A, Frances Milton Trollope predates him by six months. And she's also, B, she's much more progressive. Hmm. Wow. I mean, I'm not surprised it's uh, an injustice of the way we remember what came first or the canon. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because people always say, or in some way excuse racism and sexism from historical texts by going, oh, it's how it was at the time. But then you see this example of someone not being like that. Absolutely. that's That excuse is just trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's Frances Milton Trollope. And then she had, Anthony was one of her sons, and her other two children that survived into adulthood, I will briefly touch on. There is Cecilia, who wrote one novel called Chollerton, I don't know too much about it other than she wrote a novel which I find hilarious because it seems like it's some kind of condition of being an adult trollop is you have to write at least one novel. <laughs> so Cecilia got hers out and then was like, there's one, I'm done, I don't need to do another one. And her other child who survives into adulthood is Thomas Adolphus Trollope who lived with her for a long time. So they lived together in Florence for many years and he wrote a lot of... He wrote a lot for the newspapers. He wrote, um, I've got a whole database that I've compiled of everything that he, Francis Milton, and his wife, Francis Eleanor, wrote, and it's just masses. Hmm. Uh, he wrote novels too. I don't get the impression he's quite as famous as either his brother, his mum, or his wife. But he exists. <laughs> <laughs> And he did write a lot, and he seems from correspondence that I've read to have been a decent guy, which shouldn't count for too much, but does count. And then he, his first wife was someone called Theodosia Garrow Trollope. He was primarily a poet, and she was good friends with... I don't know if I say good friends, but she knew the Rossettis, I believe. I might be making that up. I don't know as much about her. She was a poet and was involved in something called the Tuscan Athenaeum and was a really big proponent of Italian independence. So in the Piazza della Independenza, which I've probably butchered the Italian pronunciation and I apologise, but there, there is a plaque up to them in what is called the Villino Trollope, um, or on the outside of the building, because she was really pro the cause of Italian independence and wrote a series of articles for the Athenaeum um, basically trying to convey to the English public what was going on in Italy. Ooh. She seems like a really interesting character, and I would like to know more about her. But I mean, we will soon, right? And listeners can tune in to our episodes later this year to find out more too. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna find about out more about her and pass it on to you. It's gonna be great. Yay! <laughs> so unfortunately, Theodosia dies in eighteen sixty five, I believe. And in the summer after that, uh, basically, Thomas has a daughter and he gets a governess for her. And the governess is someone who has been introduced to his mother by the name of Frances Eleanor Turnan. And then in... The, so I think they, he, she becomes his governess in June and in November they get married. Wow. So whirlwind. Yeah, it's it's kind of odd because he does seem devoted to Theodosia. And it's surprising that he marries again pretty much the next year, as far as I remember it. But also, um, 
and there's a 25 year age gap and it's whirlwind and she's his governess but actually they seem to have a really like loving and equal relationship and it's kind of heartwarming to read their letters especially when so if you read this box of letters that I've got my hands on at the British Library which are in her name I believe actually or maybe in his but basically anytime either of them writes a letter to Biche which is his daughter by Theodosia if he writes it she writes a postscript if she writes it he writes a postscript like they're all it's always a collaborative effort that's really endearing yeah that sounds sweet super sweet and so the last one is the one who I've done the most work on up till now which is Francis Eleanor Trollope and she is the sister of Ellen Turnan, who people who know a bit about Victorian gossip, I guess, might have heard of as Dickens's mistress. And she she actually first came to Italy. Dickens kind of sponsored her to go and learn to be a singer. So she'd been an actress in her childhood, but then decided she wanted to leave the stage and train as an opera singer. <laughs> and ended up being a governess. So it didn't go too well. So Dickens wrote her all of these introductions to people like Francis Milton Trollope. And she became governess, obviously, and then wife of Thomas, and then went on to write... I, uh, it's hard to say a finite number of her novels because not many places list them. Hmm. For one thing, she wrote a lot in the periodical market, and that is quite often anonymous. Mm-hmm. So I currently have found... I think 11 novels and two novellas and quite a few short stories and articles by her. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. So she doesn't have anything groundbreaking like the first of XYZ, like Frances Milton does, but she writes for kind of like all the year round, which is Dickens's, obviously Dickens's periodical. And she writes quite a lot for the graphic, which I'm enjoying because at the moment I'm looking at pictures half the time. And she's getting pretty positive reviews. One of my favourite things anyone says about her is Alfred Austin, who's another journalist, decides to compliment her by saying she's got a masculine intellect. I want to keep a running list of people who are addressed in that way. There's, I feel like George Eliot was too. Yeah, if you're in any way anything like a clever woman, you've got to be masculine. It's not, it's not feminine to be intelligent, I guess. Yeah. And then there's... So the only other Trollope that I know, oh, there's two more that I know tangentially, which is Henry Merivale Trollope, Anthony's son, also became a novelist, and then currently working, and um, certainly quite well known in the UK, I don't know about in the US, is Joanna Trollope is an author who's still alive and currently working, who is also related to them. So this really, it really is a family where if you grow to adulthood and don't write a novel, you're doing something quite unusual. Hmm. Oh, that's funny. That's that's my super quick trollop overview yeah so we're gonna be busy this year trying to give you snapshots of everyone's lives and literary activities and um maybe we need to release a family tree as part of this season so that everyone can keep track of who's related to who and how (laughs) yeah who knows who where everyone lives what everyone's doing so in addition to covering the trollop family we are planning a summer mini series that takes a step out of our main episodes and just looks at other facets of victorian culture so this summer we're going to do a mini series called victorian adaptations adapting the victorians where for half of the summer we'll look at victorian adaptations of uh, things like medieval culture and literature and the gothic 
And then we'll turn to a consideration of how we adapt to the Victorians currently in things like novels and webcomics and video games and, of course, TV. And I'll be bringing on some of my brilliant colleagues and friends to help talk about the Victorian side of things and our adaptations of the Victorians. So these will be um, shorter, like 20 or 30 minute episodes that will be coming out weekly from June through August. Super exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And maybe we can do some like field trips as part of it or something like more interactive. I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm excited to play around with the format a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. I guess the other thing that we need to update everyone on is some changes to our Patreon. Um, so we are planning some new and exciting bonus content for patrons who subscribe at various levels and formalizing the details right now but we're gonna give you some teasers today so i have been toying around with writing songs based on quotes by the victorian writers we cover and i have some sample ones that i'll be posting with this episode at a certain tier and up you'll have access to songs based on quotes that have inspired me or just really caught my attention from the writers we cover. You'll also have the option of commissioning me to write songs based on quotations by writers we've covered that I will dedicate to you. And I am tone deaf, so if you subscribe to our Patreon, you don't have to hear me singing. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm tone deaf, but I quite like the idea of trying to illustrate some of my favourite little moments from... um, episodes because I like to think I can draw slash enjoy it so that's what I have to bring to the table instead of singing. So yeah if you subscribe to our Patreon this year you will have access to music and art by your brilliant hosts. I just had like a imposter syndrome in that moment between saying brilliant and hosts like (laughs) this is hubris. I feel like it's much easier, though, to say brilliant host than if you were still doing it alone and be like, I am a brilliant host. It is. I can just tell myself it's all I'm talking about you because you are brilliant. Uh, You're brilliant. (laughs) Shucks, folks, I'm speechless. But yeah, I can identify with that imposter syndrome. It's bizarre. Bizarre and sneaky. So sneaky. But yeah, so that's uh, what 2018 is looking like here on Victorian Scribblers. Is there anything else we need to update people on? Um, If you're interested in Patreon and want to find out more specific details about what we have up there, it is patreon.com slash Victorian Scribblers, as you might guess. Yes. Some of these things we'll, at the end of the year, collect and um, offer just for general sale uh, on our website store. So if you aren't the type of person who likes doing monthly subscriptions, keep an eye out next December for the general collections. And if you just generally haven't checked out the website yet, I would recommend it because Courtney has made it and has done a really brilliant job of it. Oh, thanks. I'm really proud of it. I just pull it up on my phone and show people randomly. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. I, I introduce myself by being like, look at this website. I'm part of this. Yay!
yeah, so I guess I was just gonna say you can look forward to the first full episode of season two in February. So that's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to hear about our upcoming content and see you in a month. Yeah, thank you and see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. After the ball, done by Mr. George J. If you liked what you heard today and want to hear more, head on over to our website, www.victorianscribblers.com. There, you'll find all of our episodes, news and updates, a swag shop with cool things like coffee mugs, sweaters, and t-shirts, and of course, links to all of our social media. You can also find the link to our Patreon account, where a minimum monthly contribution will give you access to all sorts of goodies and extras. We're able to keep growing and bringing you quality content because of our patrons, so if you love the show, please consider contributing. Finally, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Music for this podcast, courtesy of MuseOpen, www.museopen.org. And now, for a Patreon rewards preview. The following songs were written freestyle by me, Courtney Floyd, in January 2018. The first is based on a quote by Wilkie Collins and is called Our Words, and the second is based on a quote by Mary Elizabeth Braddon and is called Discovery Writer. Enjoy! Things we 
Paper. 